I'm excited for the trivia I found, guys. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this film. <laughs> All right. I hope we do it justice. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Tarowski. I'm Todd Mack. And this week we are joined by special guest Brandon Ushio. Hello. Hello, Brandon. Welcome. Brandon, could you, uh, you introduce yourself to our listeners real quick? So I am Brandon Ushio. I am one of the co-hosts on the Fandom Podcast, and I am a longtime listener of you guys. So when Andrew reached out to me, I jump to the chance. <laughs> well, we are glad to have you. And this week's topic is actually one that you, uh, you suggested and one that had kind of been on our radar. We're going to be talking about, uh, Peter Banning slash pan from hook, the 1991 film starring Robin Williams. That was directed by Steven Spielberg. I trust most of you are familiar with this film. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those that I think everyone knows at some point. You know what? I uh, I showed part of this to my students the other day, and almost none of them had seen it. Oh, well, uh, when we get to the trivia, we'll talk about some of its aging issues. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so any uh, listeners who are completely unfamiliar, this is the story of kind of what if Peter Pan grew up and then had to go back to Neverland. And in this uh, instance, he's forgotten his magic. He forgot he ever was Peter Pan, and he has to go back. Uh, there to rescue his children, whom have been kidnapped by one Captain Hook, a villain you may recall from <laughs> other iterations of Peter Pan. Uh, so if that sounds interesting to you, this film is available on Amazon Prime and probably any discount DVD bin <laughs> that <laughs> exists. I think this is one of those that was, was blasted out into the DVD sphere <laughs> in the early days, and so you can probably find uh, an inexpensive copy. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, where you will find over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. So please feel free to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, now before we get into the more in-depth discussion, I've got some, some trivia about this film, guys. It is, right. uh, have any of you checked its Rotten Tomato score? No. Brandon, do you have a guess? Um, I am going to guess it's about mid-range, but I have not looked because it's one of my childhood favorites. Me and too. You know what that does uh, to you. Well, it's 30%, guys. They know nothing. <laughs> Critics <laughs> did not like this film. And do you want to know who else doesn't like it? Robin Williams. Uh, one Steven Spielberg. <laughs> oh, man. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> Spielberg is not a fan of this film. Really? Uh, I'm going to, so I, these quotes, I, I got them off of Wikipedia, but they're one's coming from an Entertainment Weekly article. Uh, he said, there are parts of Hook I love. I'm really proud of my work right up through where Peter is being hauled off in the parachute and out the window and heading for Neverland. I am less proud of the Neverland sequences, which is, you know, two thirds of the film. <laughs> <laughs> this is shocking to me. I'm uncomfortable with that highly stylized world of today, uh, or today I'm uncomfortable with that highly stylized world. And I probably have done it, uh, differently. Uh, and then the other quote though, this is two years later, his opinion has gone down a little further. <laughs> He said, I want to try and watch it again because I so don't like that movie. I'm hoping someday I'll see it again and perhaps like some of it. Oh, man. So, um, I, I just want to say that my, one of my highest uh, points of praise for this film is Neverland. I think it's beautiful and amazing <laughs> and it's all like handmade. Yes. And, uh, well, uh, a number of the critics that aren't the biggest fans, um, 
I, some of the issues that you pointed out is that, that the first act, everything up that Spielberg said it was proud of is really kind of slow and redundant. <laughs> it's, it's Peter Banning being a jerk to his kids over and over and over again. And oh, it's like man. 40 minutes of the film. These people know nothing about film. <laughs> my um, seven-year-old watched it with me and he his jaw hit the floor when when he he was flying over neverland yeah my I, kid loved it too and i no. thought the effects held up really well todd you don't have to worry this is gonna be a situation where i, I bash something you love <laughs> I, I like it too <laughs> okay um, good. I, and i like even as i hear these criticisms and i i see them play out i i still like have that gut instinct to say no but i like it okay <laughs> Like, I see the flaws that these people are pointing out, but I still like the movie. A couple other bits of trivia. Spielberg, he has famously had a troubled relationship with his own father and is no stranger about films exploring broken father-son relationships. You can see <laughs> E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, War of the Worlds, uh, any number. Jaws. <laughs> Jaws, yes, of films. <laughs> Seems to be something that he gravitates towards. And Hook is uh, another example of that happening. The trivia here that kind of interested me. Uh, Spielberg had actually circled a few Peter Pan projects in the 1980s. And he also, his first directing gig was a school production of Peter Pan when he was only 11 years old. That's he directed awesome. a school play of Peter Pan. Uh, and he, so he really likes the story. Uh, he nearly made a live action version of Walt Disney's animated film. Kind of something that Walt Disney has been doing now for the last yeah. <laughs> five or six years <laughs> uh, with their animated classics. And this was the interesting one. He was close to making a musical version of Peter Pan that was going to star Michael Jackson. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, that would be so cool. <laughs> you know, I, I get the I get the impression that you're not so, as excited about the that prospect as I am. I'm not, there are a number of uh, in general. I try and separate artists from their work. <laughs> Michael Jackson is one of those ones that I have trouble doing that though. <laughs> oh man, when I was a kid, we went to Disney World and I saw Captain EO. And that was like life changing for me. That was one of the coolest like, things. Apple I had. comes out of the screen. And I, I had, that. that was one of the coolest things I had ever seen. I, I never had that experience. I get chills so. like just thinking about that. <laughs> it was amazing. Brandon, do you have an opinion on a Michael Jackson led Peter Pan film? Uh, I, I don't necessarily have an opinion about Michael Jackson. I think he could do it back then. It would have been okay. Yeah. Uh, I think watching Hook though. The whole time in Neverland, I was thinking to myself, "This looks like a." like a stage play. There are yeah. lots of things on here. A lot of choreography that reminds me of my days being on stage. It yeah. looks like a Vegas, like a Vegas show, doesn't it? Like yes. Something that you would see in Las Vegas. And, um, one of Spielberg's complaints was that they were, it was done completely in studio. Like all of this was on sound stages and he want, he, like in retrospect, he wishes they'd been out and had more expansive. And once you hear him say that and you watch the set, you're like, yeah, this does feel a little tight cramped and, and yeah. very contained. Um, some other bits of trivia. Carrie Fisher, yes, Princess Leia. She did a brush up on dialogue for the script. <laughs> and wait, wait, wait! Like she did a pass on it to yeah. to um, punch it up, punch it up. Yeah, she. Which, uh, everyone thought like she disappeared, but she was she's a very in demand script doctor in Hollywood. Huh. Really? Yeah. And she also has a cameo. Did any of you catch Princess Leia? She has a cameo with wait, one wait, George what? Lucas. She has <laughs> oh a cameo with George Lucas. They are the couple that floats up in the air when Peter Banning's being swept what? off to Neverland, and there's the kissing couple. Who, the, who they were? That's Carrie our... Fisher and George <laughs> Lucas kissing and flying up into the air. I've yes. wondered about that couple no. for so yeah. long. Uh, oh my! Wait, I'm not goodness. done with the random cameo appearances that are going to yeah. blow your minds. Uh, <laughs> Phil Collins? <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. I know oh that. I God. spot that one. Yeah, Phil Collins is the uh, British inspector that says mm, it might just be a prank. I wouldn't worry too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> your kids are gone. Don't worry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, did you know Glenn Close was in this? No. Uh -uh. 
Glenn Close is the pirate that gets put in the boo box. No way! <laughs> no! Yes! <Wait>. Yes! <laughs> that's, that's not true. It is 100% true. That's amazing! Okay, but wait, this, this gives me an opportunity to say something, because, you know, I don't believe that, because, one, that's, <laughs> that's not possible. Yeah. Uh, but also, it's very convincing. Just like, I know that in the credits, they say Dustin Hoffman is credited for Captain Hook. I've yet to see him in this film. Oh I've watched gosh. it dozens of times, and I've only he ever is, seen Captain James Hook. He is so good. Yeah. Yeah, when, uh, when I say, like, I always resist, like, I see the criticisms, but I resist, and I want to say I like it, I think mostly I'm pointing at Captain Hook. Like, that is such an amazing performance of yeah. it, Captain Hook. It is Captain Hook. Yeah. Uh, um, just the uh, last two bits of trivia, just another great example of a Spielberg-John Williams collaboration with the score. Yes. Um, I do hear some hints of Home Alone in the score. John Williams is not above quoting himself. <laughs> and then, uh, though it only got 30% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, like the reviews were very mixed when it came out. It did make $300 million worldwide. So it made a profit. It wasn't as big a hit as people anticipated when they heard Spielberg and Peter Pan. Like they thought that was a match made in heaven. Uh, but it, it definitely made money. And it is the fifth highest grossing pirate film of all time. <laughs> <laughs> After four... <laughs> Pirate films after, after all the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Uh, <laughs> I it. like this film. You know who's in this film that I didn't realize, and I, I, it, I mean, well, Glenn Close. My goodness, <laughs> but uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is in this film. Yes, this is only her second film. She's the she's young Wendy. She has a cameo. She flies by for a cameo. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And if I was Peter Pan and I flew in Gwyneth Paltrow's window, <laughs> I would I would be going back. <laughs> Uh, he's no dummy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess before we get to the full synopsis, uh, Brandon, this was your pick for film. How do you, like, do you, do you remember how you came to Hook? So I came to Hook, uh, so this came out in 1991, and I remember seeing it in the theater with my family. My grandma took me to it, and I don't know if you guys, up in Salt Lake, there's a big old theater called, or there used to be a big theater called The Villa. And uh-huh. back in the day, it had, like, the big reclining chairs and a giant screen. And I think it was an old playhouse that was converted to a theater. So it was always kind of fancy to go in there and watch it. So I remember, as a child, going and seeing this in the theater with my grandma and some cousins and siblings. So, I also remember uh, going to see it in the theater. And I remember distinctly having the thought, if this comes out on video, I will never be bored again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I I am fairly certain that I saw this in uh, in a theater when it came out. It would have been at the Sierra in Orem, and uh, I it just it's always been. I mean, I've seen it so many times; it's hard to remember the first time. But man, I watched it a lot of times when I was a kid. I really, really <laughs> love this film, and I still do. I also, Even if Steven Spielberg doesn't like it, I do. I do have a distinct memory of um, taking the video to my grandma's house and watching it. And there's the scene where um, some of the Neverland flowers sniff Peter Pan's crotch. And he yes. smacks them. I just remember her giving a, such a, a snort of disgust at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> I watched it today with my nine-year-old. And at the, the scene when they're at the table yeah. and they're, they're insulting each other. I like. I kind of wanted to cover his ears, <laughs> okay, and, and not laugh at things that that are pretty funny. Like this isn't funny, Kimball. You shouldn't. You shouldn't laugh at this. This is potty talk. <laughs> okay, guys. All right, I, hold on. producer Andrew has something he wants to share with us. I've pulled up pictures of Glenn Close in this role, and maybe, 
<laughs> like maybe. Okay. All right. I, I searched for better documentation on the George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. All I could find was that being in trivia sections on IMDb and on, uh, on Wikipedia. Like I couldn't find the original source for that one. So that one's maybe a little iffy, but the Glenn Close one is everywhere. <laughs> it's just disgusting to me to even think about that. <laughs> well, there's such a distance. They're, they're not like making out Todd. <laughs> I know. I, I I don't know. It kind of freaks me out. I'm not going to, I'm going to choose to forget that. All right. Well, listeners, if this has sounded, uh, like something that you'd like to watch before we get into the full synopsis, again, there's a couple of places we can do that. And before we get into Todd giving us the full breakdown, uh, producer Andrew's going to explain our deal that is still running through the month of April. Yes, this, if, if you're hearing this as we release it, you've still got just a few days to get on Patreon and get our discounted deals. $3 buys you a topic. If you're already donating, then you just need to increase by $1 to get a topic, unless you are already donating and have already bought a topic, in which case donating one more dollar gets you two topics. I know that might have sounded a little confusing, just basically it's cheaper to donate and get us to talk about whatever you want us to talk about <laughs> right now than at any point in our existence as a podcast. In our long and storied history. <laughs> and 70 few, episodes strong. A few people have taken advantage of that, and we are extremely grateful and look forward to talking about whatever they choose. All right. So, Todd, you have the long summary for us? I have it. Let's hear it. I am ready. Hang on. I'm almost ready. <laughs> right. Well, he gets ready. Brandon, real quick. You said you're the co-host of the Fandom Podcast, and I meant to follow up, and I forgot right then. Could you explain the premise of the Fandom Podcast to our listeners in case any of them want to follow you over to there? So... At the Fandom Podcast, we talk every week about a little bit of the news that comes out, and then we jump into a discussion topic, like this last one that we had uh, was... Sorry, hang on just a second. I don't know what the last one is, because it's the 25th. It Sorry was the Harry Potter that. was the one that posted most recently. Yeah. So, the, as of this recording, the one that we posted most recently was Harry Potter. Um, and then, by the time you're listening to this, we have another one where we're going to do fandom mashups, and we're going to make a list of some fandoms that we would love to see put together. So just kind of geeky, fun topics like that. We call it the Fandom Podcast because there's a fandom for everything. Nice. Okay, are you ready for this? Yes, please. Okay, buckle up. Get a cold drink. Here we go. Peter Banning is a lawyer and a distracted father. While he's watching his young daughter's elementary school theater production of Peter Pan, uh, his awesome 1991 cell phone rings and he takes the call. His boss, Brad, has called and wants Peter to have a meeting the next day. Uh, despite the fact that this meeting conflicts with his son's baseball game, Peter says he will be there. The next day, Peter just can't seem to get out of the door of the office, and he misses Jack's game entirely. Jack strikes out, and Peter misses everything. When Peter finally arrives at the ball diamond, everyone is gone. Later that day on a transatlantic flight with some significant turbulence... This was a... That's kind of a scary amount of turbulence. I would, I, I think I would be a little nervous. Oh, real quick. A bit of trivia for this scene. It's, uh, Dustin Hoffman is the captain's voice on the floor. It is? Yes. Awesome. I, I, captain. I get it. Uh, later that day on this uh, transatlantic flight, we realize that Peter is deathly afraid of flying. His son Jack has drawn a picture of the plane crashing and, and the family uh, parachuting out of the plane, except his dad doesn't have a parachute. Peter tells Jack to stop acting like a child, and Jack replies, I am a child. Uh, now they are in London to meet a woman named Granny Wendy. Peter's daughter asks if this is the real Wendy from her play. Peter says no. His wife Moira says, sort of. Uh, Wendy tells the children there is just one rule in her house, no growing up. 
then Wendy asks Peter what he does for a living. Uh, he tells her he's a lawyer. He works in acquisitions. His son tells Wendy when anyone offers any resistance, his father comes in and blows them out of the water. So, Peter, says Wendy, you've become a pirate. The next night, or that night, uh, Peter receives a phone call. It looks like his, this huge deal is falling apart. He yells at his kids. His wife is mad at him. He tries to take the call saying to his wife, I've got to fix this. And then Mo Moira, his wife says, you've got to fix your family first. And she throws his cell phone out the window. The dog, Nana, buries, uh, buries the, uh, the phone in a hole. Later, as the kids, uh, ki they kiss the kids goodnight and go out for the evening, Peter gives Jack a pocket watch, telling him that he is in charge. Then Peter, Moira, and Wendy go to the dedication of a new hospital wing being dedicated in Wendy's name. Peter, it turns out, is an orphan, and Wendy took him in and helped him find a home, just like she did for uh, many, many others. Meanwhile, back at Wendy's house, a strange force enters the home, and when Peter and Wendy and Moira return, they find that Jack and Maggie, uh, their children, are missing, and Captain James Hook has left a ransom note requesting Peter's presence in Neverland. Uh, then Wendy Peter tells Peter the truth. He has uh, no memory of life before he was 12 or 13 because he is Peter Pan. Uh, but when he was uh, when he was 12, he came to visit Wendy and he saw her granddaughter Moira in bed and decided he wanted to grow up <laughs> so that he could grow up with her. And uh, now he's forgotten everything, but Wendy assures him that the stories are true. He must go back to Neverland and remember that he is Peter Pan. Now Peter drinks himself silly, and then Tinkerbell comes to him, and she wants to take him to save his children. She sprinkles him with pixie dust, but he can't fly, so she knocks him out, wraps him in sheets, and carries him off to Never Neverland. When he wakes up, that's where he is. And I just want to say here, what a set. I mean, it is a set. It's on a soundstage, but it was, it was magical to me when I was a kid to see this this set and i still think it's really cool even though it's a little cramped <laughs> uh so tinkerbell beats up some pirates that try to assault peter and then she dresses him up as a pirate he hides himself in a crowd sneaks onto hook's ship uh, then uh, when hook parades the children in front of his crew peter tries to save them uh, but he can't and so hook is about to kill peter but before he does tinkerbell convinces him to give her three days to whip pan into shape so that he can have his war Hook can have his war. Uh, as the pirates celebrate, they knock Peter into the ocean where three mermaids come and kiss him to save him from drowning. Uh, and then he gets pulled out of the water and dropped into the Lost Boys camp. There's not really much explanation of why any of that happens or how exactly. But uh, he seems pretty pleased about the mermaids. And uh, anyway, <laughs> it's, an interesting, it's an interesting, I think there's something symbolic, important symbolic going on there. If I but, can interrupt right here real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I, so I don't know if you noticed, there is a whole night cut out of that, though, from the time that – because it's daytime when he falls into the water. And yes. then when he's being pulled up to it's the morning. Lost Boys, everyone's asleep, including Tinkerbell, who yes. took him to the pirate ship. He was so in the water for was, a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's a family film, so things probably got cut out. <laughs> Well, let's, uh, um, uh, one of the, I, I mentioned critics were not huge fans of this film. And one of the biggest complaints is how long it is. Cause it is a very long children's film. Uh, it's like two hours and 25 minutes long, I think. Wow. And I don't so, even, I don't so whatever feel was, it. you know, scenes had to be trimmed back and it's still a long film. There are some films that are long. My favorite long film is the Pirates of Penzance, which always about halfway through I go, yep. This is a really long film still. <laughs> still just about just about as long as I remember it being, which is about twice as long as I want it to be. Uh, I, I never have this feeling with Hook. It's exactly as long as it needs to be. I love it. 
the Lost Boys are all excited that Pan is back until they realize that he doesn't know who he is. Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell convinces them that it really is him, and then Rufio, the leader of the Lost Boys, draws a line in the sand and says for everyone who doesn't believe in Peter to stand with him. All the boys follow Rufio except for this little, little Lost Boy who kind of pinches Peter's face and he sees in Peter's eyes that it really is Pan. And then a few of the boys rush back to Peter's side. Uh, but Rufio and the majority of the other boys, they still don't believe. Uh, meanwhile, a despondent hook wants to end his life. But Smee convinces him to get Pan's kids to love him instead of Pan. It would be the ultimate revenge. So the next day, the Lost Boys try to train Peter, but they can't get it to work. Uh, at the same time, Hook tries to convince Jack and Maggie that their parents don't love them. Uh, Maggie isn't convinced, but Jack begins to have his doubts. So the children are separated. Uh, that night, the Lost Boys have an imaginary dinner, and Peter isn't playing along. Then he gets in this uh, insane battle of insults with uh, Rufio, and then he wins that battle, and he begins to use his imagination, and the pretend food becomes real food uh, to him. And they have this huge, huge food fight, which I was always envious of when I was a child. I always right. wanted to have a food fight like that. Let's put a pin on this. I want to come back to the food later. but Okay. <laughs> I, do t- I do as well. I- I'm guessing probably not for the same reasons, but... <laughs> Uh, Rufio throws a coconut at Peter and somebody throws him a sword and he chops it in half in midair. And it looks like he's kind of turning a corner, but then he just freaks out and drops the sword and runs away. Uh, and then later that night, he talks to one of the last boys called Thud and he, and, and Thud tells Peter that his happy thought is his own mother. Uh, that takes us to the end of the day one of training. The morning of the next day, uh, Hook and Smee take Jack to a room, a room full of smashed clocks, and Hook reminds uh, Jack of all the times his father let him down, and they smash the, the pocket watch that Peter had given Jack the night that, the, the last time that they had been together. Then uh, when Jack complains that his father didn't save him, Hook tells him that Peter will come for him. The question is, will he want to be saved? Uh, later, Peter and, and some of the Lost Boys dress up as pirates, and they try to steal they're going to try to steal Hook's hook, but it turns out that Hook's men are engaged in a baseball game, and Jack is there, and he steps up to bat uh, just as Peter is about to steal the hook. And so uh, Peter stops to watch the game. Hook tells Jack, this is for all the games your daddy missed. Hook would never miss a game. Then Smee throws a curveball, which is Jack's hardest pitch to hit, but he hits a home run, and my goodness, what a home run he hits. Uh, hook calls out, my Jack, and Peter is heartbroken. He left he leaves a uh, very, very sad. He runs back to the camp and he tries to fly, but he can't. Uh, now things get a little interesting. <clears throat> Jack's home run ball falls out of the sky and hits, <laughs> hits Peter in the head. And he falls near a pool of water and he sees his old, young Peter Pan reflection in the water. Then his shadow comes to him and leads him to the inside of a tree, like a cave underneath a tree. And Tinkerbell is there, and she's dressed in this beautiful formal gown. She tells Peter it's a welcome home party. And now all of a sudden, Peter remembers everything. He remembers his mother and how he, when he was a tiny baby, he ran away from his mother because he was afraid of growing up. And then Tinkerbell saved him. I mean, let's say running away is somehow Peter's able to self self-propel his his baby stroller carriage away uh doesn't go well for him he ends up lying in a puddle in the rain but tinkerbell saves him and takes him to neverland uh soon peter finds wendy i you know i have a i have a can we put a pin in this one and come back because i have a question about logistics of how the how this works uh anyway soon peter finds wendy and they have more i'll wait (laughs) 
Okay, they have adventures, but then uh, Wendy grows up, and then Peter meets Moira, Wendy's granddaughter, and decides to stay, uh, and then forgets that he's Peter Pan. And now Peter finds his happy thought. He knows why he came back, why he grew up. He wanted to be a father. That's his happy thought. And uh, Peter is now flying, and he is somehow magically dressed in green tights. (laughs) Uh, Rufio comes to him and gives his sword back to Peter, saying, You are the Pan. And then Peter draws a line in the sand. All the Lost Boys rush to join him, uh, including Rufio. And uh, and then that night, Peter visits Tinkerbell, and he has now forgotten why he is in Neverland. Uh, and he's forgotten that he has kids. And this doesn't make a ton of sense either, given the fact that his happy thought is the fact that he's a dad and he's flying all over the place. That's what he lets would... him be Peter Pan. But being Peter Pan makes him forget. Yes. <laughs> okay. There's a, there's, a, there's a paradox here. Uh, but then Tink gets big, and she kisses Peter, and then he remembers that he loves his wife and his kids, and he has a plan. End of day two. Now it's day three, the day of the war. Everyone gears up. Uh, just as Hook is about to pierce Jack's ear with his hook, which always gives me the chills to think about. Uh, now Peter shows up. He's flying. Jack doesn't recognize him. And Peter says, Jack, give me your hand. Let's go home. And Jack replies, I am home. And then they have this great sword fight between Peter and the Lost Boys and and the pirates. And then Rufio shows up, and he and Hook have a fantastic sword fight. Um, But Hook stabs Rufio. And then when Pan comes back to to Rufio's side, uh, the dying, uh, dying Rufio says to Peter, you know what I wish? I wish I had a dad like you. And then he dies. And now Peter's about to engage Hook in a duel. But Jack tells him, Dad, I want to go home. And now the battle's over. Peter and the Lost Boys have won. Uh, Peter tries to leave, but Hook tells him that he will never stop hunting Pan's children. Uh, so P- Peter and, and Hook have this another great sword fight. Uh, and during this fight, Hook tells Pan that he... That, that, that he is really just Peter Banning, and this is all a dream, and there's kind of this moment of doubt, and then all the children and even Tinkerbell join him. Uh, they join together, and they tell him, they believe in, I believe in you, Peter. I believe in you. And then he gets his uh, second wind, and he defeats Hook, and right as, about, uh, right as about, he's about to kill him, then the children say, let's go again. And so he tries to leave again, and Hook has a hidden sword. He tries to attack Peter. Tinkerbell steps in for momentarily, and then Hook... Uh, gets his uh, hand stuck in a giant stuffed crocodile, and then the crocodile falls on him and apparently eats him. Uh, and now Tinkerbell sprinkles fairy dust on the kids, and they fly home. Uh, Peter stays behind momentarily to leave his sword with uh, with uh, Thud, the lost the lost boy. And uh, now he's the head of the Lost Boys, and then Peter flies home. Now the kids fly into the room uh, from which they were taken. Their mother sits uh, sleeping in a chair. The kids climb quietly back into bed. So when Moira awakes, she finds them sleeping there. Uh, then Peter wakes up in the street. Uh, Don Hoskins, who is the same actually back plays, in his old clothes, plays Smee. Oh yeah, and now he's magically back in his old clothes, his uh, his tux from the night that uh, that he left. So Mr. Smee comes by dressed as a sweet street sweeper, and then Tinkerbell comes to say goodbye, and then Peter goes home, he digs up his old phone, he tells his boss he has been to Neverland, and then he climbs back into the house, kisses his wife, and then throws his phone back out the window. And then Toodles, one of the original Lost Boys, who is now an old man, gets sprinkled with dust and begins to fly away, but before he leaves, he yells, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. No. He says, uh, seize the day. And then Wendy tells Peter, boy, your adventures are over. And then Peter replies, oh no, to live. To live will be an awfully big adventure. The end. Good summary, Todd. Thank you. It, uh, I think, brought lights with the, the issues I wanted to touch on <laughs> in our discussion. <laughs> uh, before we get circle back around to any of those, uh, Brandon, you, sa- you said this is one of your favorite films. Can I ask, what is it about this film that resonates for you? 
So this film, I you know, I loved it as a kid because of the whole Peter Pan, Lost Boy, kids just going to have fun. Uh, and we're going to talk about the food scene a little later, but there's one part in there where he's holding silverware or utensils, and they say, no, we don't use them. And he says, why do you have these? And he says, well, it's – and the little boy says – it's so that we don't have to use them. And so, you know, I love that about the children. I love their attitudes. I love, you know, when I was a kid, I I loved that. But now, you know, I watched it shortly again, shortly after the birth of my first child. And let me tell you, that was that was a mistake to do in public because you get to the point where you're like – you're my happy thought. And I, you know, I, you start to choke up oh, a little man. bit because, <laughs> totally. you know, I, my, I was holding my baby boy <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, tonight as I was watching it again with my, uh, with, with my kids now seven years later, and I've watched it several times in between there, but my oldest son said to my middle child, who's four, he's like, watch dad's going to cry. <laughs> so the seven-year-old pegged me on this. So I, I like this film so much because no matter what age you are, there is something that you can take out of it. And I have a feeling that, you know, once I'm a grandparent, I'll watch what Wendy's doing and be like, that's the kind of grandparent I want to be. Yeah. See, I've used Peter Pan as an example of a story that changes its meaning, like as you pass through different stages. Like once you're a parent, the actual like Peter Pan story kind of becomes a bit creepy. <laughs> a stranger crawling through windows and taking children. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this version of it, I'm seeing different things in your description right there. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're, when you're a kid, Peter Pan's awesome. It's like, I get to fly, go to Neverland, have adventures, pirates and everything. But once your parents like, wait, what's going on in this story? Yeah. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with the, the, that thinking about being a father and, and watching this film and knowing that I'm never as good a father as I, as I wish I could be. And sometimes you know, when he yells, when he's on the phone and his kids are climbing on him and he's like, oh, like he's so frustrated and I'm just dying inside for him because I know what that's like <laughs> when you're trying to talk on the phone and do something that you feel like is really important. And maybe it is important and your kids are yelling and screaming and you and it's anyway, you just snap and I've I've snapped before <laughs> with my kids and I never feel good about it. But it, I, I just feel like there's so much about him that's relatable. And that moment when he says, I know, now I know my happy thought. And this is all about family. It's just awesome to see a film like this that I, I, despite some of its flaws, I do think that it's well-made and uh, I think psychologically complex and also just really like family and father affirming, So, which is cool. You, uh, just now you, you were talking about like those moments early on when Peter Manning is like the, the, the tug that we see played out in a lot of Hollywood films. And I think we see it so often is because it plays out in real life that, you know, <laughs> to be a good father, you need to, you know, provide for your family to provide for your family. You need to be away from your family. Sure. <laughs> um, and I can't remember where it was, but I, uh, it might've been this last week I was reading something where they said like, does Hollywood make films about the other end of that spectrum where like you're not providing enough for your family or like you spend too much time with your family. Like it seems like we're constantly seeing the, the too much away, but this film does both. Like he forgets his family when he yeah. remembers being Peter Pan. So this film actually does uh, present the need, I think in some ways for the, for that balance of, you know, the, the fun filled adventure side and uh, also the responsible adult side. I just don't imagine that. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm totally off on the left field on this, but I don't think that there are that many, I don't, I don't think that like one of the ills of our society are fathers that are too invested in their children <laughs> and therefore allow them to like live on the streets in poverty. Yes. Because they're always, you're not being involved because enough. they're always home playing, like <laughs> yeah. just so involved with their children that they never actually like feed them or, you know, 
Like, yeah. I just, I don't see that that is a really big problem, but I do think there are lots of both fathers and mothers who forget that they're parents and they, because they, and they, and they use work to justify, uh, you know, emotional and, abandonment. And it is of their somewhat that catch 22 that to be a good mother or father, you do need to provide for your children and that's going to involve work. Yeah. Uh, and so it's easy to justify, uh, that time away as, as being necessary, but it's, it's, you know, it's all about balance. And I think that's one of the themes of this film is finding that balance. Yes. Can I, 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 I just really want you guys to spend a couple minutes talking about hook <laughs> because he's, he's so good in this movie. Like it's such a good portrayal of it. Can you just like humor you, me? You make sure we get that and, and, and give a couple minutes <laughs> it was, to that performance. It was my third bullet point. <laughs> oh, no. It's uh, my second. Okay. <laughs> So my first bullet point says, how about that set? Because I do think that it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I don't, maybe because I'm like, I'm a homeowner now and I try to build things and everything that I build just looks terrible <laughs> to see something. And we're so used to seeing everything look like, because we have uh, so much use of CGI and I think such sophisticated use of CGI that we're not used to seeing. I mean, I think this came at an interesting time when there was enough budget for this film that they could make an extremely elaborate set for a, for a soundstage. Mm -hmm. And it is, as far as soundstage sets go, with no, I mean, like, essentially no CG in, in most of it, it's, it's pretty astounding that yeah. somebody did that with, like, a skill saw and a paintbrush. <laughs> and they built that, and the, and the kids, when they come out on the boat, and they've got the paddle wheel boat, and I mean, somebody built that, and it's, and it's kids, you know, on a boat in water. It's just and they had it's to, amazing like, to me. They had to flood that stage to put that water in under the pirate yeah. ship. Yeah. It's awesome. See, I thought while I was watching it several times, I was like, this would be an awesome attraction at Disneyland. Let yeah. me ride up in that boat that the kids have the paddle boat going on. And let me, you know, take the wind surfboard down the track that they have in yeah. Neverland. It'd be awesome. It doesn't look like, I mean, it doesn't look like The Force Awakens, which when, when people say, you know, a lived in world, like Star Wars looks like a lived in world. And it doesn't look like that. It looks Don't like it, it, looks like it came. Don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's my favorite movie right now. It's my current favorite movie. I'm on record as saying, uh, but this doesn't feel like it feels like it came out of, of a dream, but like out of a carpenter's dream or something <laughs> like it's just amazing that somebody <laughs> built that. Um, I love all, like you're saying, like the physicality. And I think we've seen certainly films that go too far in the other way where there's too much CGI going on. I mean, the Star Wars prequels being, you know, the often yeah. held up the example of like early CGI where it was like too much. And I think what Spielberg was saying when he's like, he doesn't like the scale of it at all. Um, what I think he, we'd see now is getting that. Uh, I mean, particularly now where we seem to be getting a better balance of these things. Yes. It's, it's all those physical sets, but with a green screen behind to add layers and depth that isn't there. Um, in this, whereas, you know, this has painted scrims in the background that you can tell are painted when you, when you look closely at them and it, yeah. it kind of cuts off the distance. Uh, and so if we could get that blood, I think that's probably what Spielberg is, is saying he regrets about this, but sure. I, I 100% agree. This is, uh, I, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, those sets, the, the pirate ship and the lost boy camp. Okay. So my bullet point number two says Dustin Hoffman. So where's my bubbly? Bring me my bubbly. <laughs> I, I sure wish <laughs> Dustin Hoffman were in this film, but it's all Captain Hook. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing, amazing performance. Well, so Dustin Hoffman is famously in the method actor uh, period for, for Hollywood actors. Uh, mm -hmm. and he completely immerses into this. In fact, I was skimming through, 
IMDb trivia and it said that he was on set uh, or, or in London two months before they started filming, trying to immerse himself into being Captain Hook. <laughs> 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 How do you immerse yourself into being Captain Hook? I know, yeah. Like when, when you're talking about method acting, you're like, okay, I'm going to be a boxer. I understand how you go <laughs> method act being a boxer. I don't know how you go method act being Captain Hook. It says, bring me my bubbly. <laughs> he was I wearing those the coats scene, all over. So I, I think that as far as a character is concerned, thinking about um, like motivation, I think can be interesting in, in dealing with him. The scene that's most interesting for me is the the scene at night when he tries to commit suicide. <laughs> and he's, I and he's just like... Myself, Smee. <laughs> Don't stop me, Smee. <laughs> Don't try to stop me. Don't try to stop me. Smee, try to stop me. Stop me, sir. Stop, stop me. me. Stop me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, Don't ever do that again. <laughs> but I, I think it's interesting how a, a relationship can develop where... I mean, talk about a codependent relationship in which... His whole, like, raison d'etre is Peter Pan. And without Peter Pan, he is – his life is meaningless. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, to the point where he has to bring his enemy back. Like, he's, he's essentially banished his enemy. His enemy is gone. <laughs> right. But he can't – he has to bring him back in order to function. Yeah, I had a thought about this today. Um, so I got a, I got a, a, a letter from the locally predominant uh, political party <laughs> – <laughs> and in Utah, there's a part, one party just dominates all of politics. And it was saying things like, congratulations this year. We now basically own everything. Like we have crushed the opposition and now there are no, no one from the opposing party has any power in the state at all. And it kind of made me think of Hook and like, I feel like we should bring back some, you know, there's, there's just, value in having opposition. Just bring somebody back just for the sake of not having to say like, we own everything now because it's kind of miserable. Like what's like, what's the point anymore? And, and who could possibly be around to check anything? But, but I think that this is, I mean, like Dustin Hoffman is, is in that situation and he's, and he's realized that life has lost its savor without the balance. And again, get, getting back to balance and how important balance is to this whole film. It's important for Peter and it's important for, for Hook. Well, so much so that he goes and brings back his enemy. Um, while we're talking about Hook, I do just want to make sure we mention the fabulous costume and makeup <laughs> that exists for Hook. Uh, so good. And also, while we're talking about Hook, we, can we throw in Bob Hoskin, uh, Hoskins? Yes. As me. I love this me. <laughs> All of them. I would say Dustin Hoffman is a fantastic performance. Robin Williams is a fantastic performance. Bob Hoskins is amazing. And I think Julia Roberts is really good. I think it's a it's it's a really well-acted film. And there's even you know, Maggie I, Smith in there. Maggie Smith gets... Maggie <laughs> Smith. And Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> so with Hook, though, there is there's, there was a few things that I didn't love, which I, I, I agree with everything you said. That's why I was quiet for that whole thing, because you guys are just hitting it on the head. <laughs> There were a few things with the script, though, that I didn't love about the hook, about the hook portrayal, like the scene at the end when he's fighting with Rufio. Uh -huh. It's like how so they've got all these kids there and they're blinding him with mirrors and none of them get stabbed. But then Rufio <laughs> comes up and he's sword fighting and, you know, Hook just takes him out. Yeah. And it's like, OK, if, you know, this this was this part where I was like, OK, I hope my kids are OK with this because, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, you know, a imaginary land turns into something a little darker and grimmer. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a, the whole final fight scene definitely has um some issues of tone, I guess, or or stakes. 
Um, like, is this just a game that the Lost Boys and the Pirates always play at? Or is this life and death? And you feel both. <laughs> yeah. Within the scene. And obviously the turning point is that stabbing of Rufio uh, that you mentioned that suddenly everything shifts. Because before then, it's like marbles and squirt guns are winning the day against swords. And no Lost Boy sustains a single scratch. <laughs> I remember being stunned when Rufio gets stabbed. Being 10 years old and watching this and, like, my my heart coming out of my throat. Like, I cannot believe that that just happened. Okay. When you saw this as a kid, was Rufio the coolest thing you'd ever seen on screen? Yes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes. He was so cool. Okay, when, so anybody Rufio. who ever says that, you know, you need to be careful. We don't need characters of different racial backgrounds. As an Asian kid, Rufio being that cool was awesome to me. And oh, man, you know, he's so his last cool. name, Rufio, or his name, Rufio, the chant kind of goes with Ushio, and I had a couple kids in elementary school that picked up on that. <laughs> and that was like the oh! coolest thing in the world. <laughs> oh, and I love Rufio so much. These. And I remember getting a McDonald's Happy Meal that was going to have hook toys, and I got the Rufio, and he was on the little board, uh, like wind board, skateboard, weird mix <laughs> thing. And it was so, I was so happy I got that one, because I loved everything about Rufio. I loved his costume. I loved the crazy skunk hair that Peter Banning <laughs> makes fun of. I just thought he was the coolest. And so, for him to die, that was harsh. <laughs> yeah, I, it really is. Proper, proper credit to the actor Dante Bosco. He's been part of one of our episodes before. He is the voice of Prince Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, he is! You're right! Oh, I like it even more now. I Both no of idea. these things. <laughs> so, anyway, I, I, uh, as I was talking to my students today about Hook, um, we one of one of my students pointed out how close Rufio is to Rubio, and if you go online, you can just find an, an limitless uh, an, an <laughs> amount of great like memes and uh, animated gifts. Photoshops. Yeah, uh, look at like Marco Rubio saying, "Look at me, I'm the pan now," and like bangering. And all, all right, just just so it's we don't get great. the immediate messages on our Facebook group, the creator of it calls it a GIF with the the soft. Okay, you said hard. The internet debates it, and I know if we say one, someone's going to make a comment underneath, even though that okay. G stands for graphic. Yes, you know what okay. I do is I alternate every other time I say it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, the uh, the jump ball in college basketball. It's not really a jump ball; it's just alternating. <laughs> you learn a whole lot more about the people who react to how GIF or GIF is pronounced than you do by the person saying it. I'm like, just saying yes. that. Right yeah. there. Is there any doubt about what they mean? Whichever way they say it, we all are on board that this has been well communicated to us. Okay, I <laughs> bring, bring, bring it back. I'm to sorry the movie. that I said whatever I said. No, it was just either usage. We were going to have to acknowledge the other existence. Okay. Uh, have we said enough about about Hook for a second? I have. I have. Well, okay, I have one thing to say about Hook, and it's this: What do you make of his argument to Jack and Maggie that parents don't love their children? Uh, so they're they're in class. And he says, lesson number one, why parents don't love their children. And then, and then she says, that's not true. My mommy reads to me every night. And he says, I'll tell you why your parents read to you every night. It's because they want you to go to bed so that they can finally <laughs> have some time alone. And they were happier before you were born. And, and she's like, that's not true. So what do you make of this? Uh, it's, is, that a, is that a compelling argument? I think it's a great way to see doubt in a child's mind. <laughs> You know, I actually thought about that too. Is I think the uh, the writers of the movie were seeding the doubt, and then they're like, "Well, we're going to prove that Hook is a fraud and a phony." And so, if these kids ever have these thoughts, 
they'll be like, oh, no, that's something Captain Hook said. That's obviously wrong. Uh, but at the same time, it does have that uncomfortable kernel of truth. <laughs> where, yeah, does it, did it kind of? So where here, I've had days where my goal is to get the kids in bed. <laughs> so, yes. Like, that's that's the goal of the day, is get the kids in bed. So maybe it's also there for parents to hear, <laughs> to remind them, like, don't be that parent yeah. where this is true. <laughs> well, I think it. I think it adds a layer of complexity, and there are a couple of there are a couple of places. So one of the reasons that I love this film is because here's my non sequitur. One of the reasons <laughs> that I love this film is because it's the, it, it was one of the first times it, as a as a more advanced undergrad or early graduate student where I started to be able to see. Uh, a pattern that I had learned, just like some random theory, and being being able to apply it to a piece of art. And we were learning about Jung and and conscious and subconscious and being able to balance your light side and your shadow side. And this film fits that model like perfectly, uh, almost almost like too perfectly. And and sometimes when you see something like that, you can lose complexity. Uh, like Peter Pan, you know, there's Peter Banning who is all like the conscious and then Peter Pan is his shadow side and he has to find a way to balance those two things. And then there are, there are a couple of moments where I think that the Spielberg and the screenwriters are able to take this black and white issue and make it a little bit more complicated. And this is one of them in which we have uh hook who is supposed to be the bad guy is saying something and there is this ring of truth to it. And it, I think it kind of stops, it stops me in my tracks and makes me think, Hmm, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go so far as to say I was happier when I was, you know, before I had kids, but man, that was a different life. And there were benefits that I occasionally miss. <laughs> Can I say that and not sound like a horrible person? Uh, I, I think every parent is nodding along with you, Todd. <laughs> but you know, I, I, say it out loud. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go out there with you. I, you know, I miss some things. I have a brother who's a couple years older than me who we do the exact same thing for work, but he took one path where he, he's not married. He doesn't have kids. And so he's just been working on his career. And, you know, I got married, I had kids, and I wanted a job where I could be home with my kids. And so I work for a school district. So my brother's making easily two to three times as much money as I am. And he's like, oh, I'm going to New York for the weekend because, you know, there's this place that I really like to go. And so I'm just going to go there for dinner kind of thing. What is he, Hamilton? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I, I think he's gone in for the lottery a few times. And, you know... It's it's easy to say I miss that and or I never had that part of it actually. But it's easy to say, I man, I would love to have that. But isn't the grass always greener? And so it's really you know, my brother tells me that, you know, sometimes it would be nice to come home and have dinner made and not have to deal with roommates and stuff like that. And so yeah. <laughs> uh it grass is always greener and yeah, the, 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 that's one of the that conversation in hook is one of those that really it's like are you writing there for the kids? Or are you writing there for the adults? And I had, there were several times in this movie that I'm like, I don't know if they're trying to send a message to the kids or, or the adults, but it's working. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, um, he says, he says they, before you were born, they were happier. And, and that's a lie because I, I do consider myself a happier person today than I was 10 years ago. But but if you change that sentence and say, before you were born, their lives were simpler, I would say, yeah, absolutely. 
And if you were to change that line and say, before you were born, they had less sadness in their life, which is not the same as saying that your life is happier. But if you were to say, like, I mean, I think that having children and being a father has brought more pain and sadness into my life than than otherwise I would have. Yeah, and I think, but I think it's something that this film does get at uh, in several instances that's saying you need that. Because um, Peter Pan, he lives a life of, you know, floating through the clouds and, and being happy. But he gave that up to enter a life that was going to have more pain and sadness, but his uh, happiness was also going to be greater. And he forgot that for a while. And this film's about him remembering that his happiness is greater with all of that pain and sadness than it would have been without. He can't abandon that again and just be Peter Pan, but he also got kind of too wrapped up in the stress mm-hmm. uh, that comes with it. So it's it's saying that, you know, along with those, you know, the, the highs are going to be higher, the lows are going to be lower, but it's all worth it. Well, and I think the primary counterpoint to Hook's argument that your parents were happier before you were born is that Peter's happy thought is his children. Yeah. Like, so he couldn't have been happier because that's the happy thought. Yeah, but I guess, I guess part of what I'm saying is that I think sometimes we forget that the definition of happy is not, not sad, right? When we think that to be happy means to not be sad. And I think we forget, and we've talked about this in other episodes, that the, that one of the things that great art teaches us is that the definition of happy is emotionally rich. And, and that you have, you can only feel happiness in proportion to the amount of, of exposure to sadness or risk of sadness. And that if you completely isolate yourself from the, from the possibility of feeling pain or sadness, you're also limiting your ability or the potential to be happy. I think. I I think this actually, in a way, uh, circles back to what you were saying about, uh, you know, a state maybe where there's one dominant political party <laughs> and yes. uh, not having any opposition. And it actually often leads to a lack of progression. Uh, cause, uh, you know, the, the, the whole idea of, of the benefit of opposition is that you learn from each other and, and that you each progress. Um, cause no one, no group, no political party, no individual, uh, could stay in a single state and, you know, be improving and be progressing. I really like this this uh, this conversation. I mean, I think it's a really important thing to think about, and that, I just think that seems pretty amazing when he's talking to those kids. Uh, do we want to talk about the food fight? Yes, <laughs> I, I was going to suggest that it's like you guys talk about wanting to talk about food. Uh, this is another instance where maybe uh, you see uh, the same story at different stages in life, and your reaction changes. <laughs> because when i was a kid i remember thinking that the 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 pies that look like they're just frosting yes yeah they look so good when i was a kid and now like that's diabetes (laughs) yeah (laughs) and what looked good was the bacon wrapped turkey legs which i don't think i even noticed when i was a kid but now those bacon wrapped turkey legs i was like oh look at that (laughs) i I think i found i i found an uh, an interesting uh, way in which I've changed in that I think when I was a kid, I was sort of appalled by the food fight. Like those kids are going to be so messy and get so much. Trevor was kind of an uptight little kid. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the food fight was not my favorite part, but seeing it now, I think, man, that looks like such a great release. So I don't know. Maybe yeah, did, I'm more, you, maybe did, I'm more in touch with my shadow side now. <laughs> did any of you notice that the, there was a big block of cheese and it's got thuds. <laughs> Yeah. Face carved into it. <laughs> I did. I, <laughs> I love didn't that. notice that. <laughs> oh man, that block of cheese always gets me. Cheese is the best. <laughs> so I, uh, I, 
Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, the scene is so interesting, like, the food that's not there. And all. so is the food there for the other Lost Boys? Or have they always just been pretending to eat air until Peter Pan, who has more magic than all of them, makes the food appear? Because they seem pretty shocked when the food's on the table. But they were also eating air <laughs> before. This gets into, I mean, do we want to open a broader discussion about the logistics of how the ma- about how the magic of this world works? Because okay. I have some serious questions about this. I think this Let's is circling back to your, your baby Peter Pan being taken to Neverland. How did he grow up to be a child yes. Peter Pan? So if, so if about, I thought yes. your concern was how he wind-powered his preambulator. <laughs> yeah, yes, that too. Uh, but also, how does uh, Hook age? Because this Hook is, once the wig's thrown off, He's, he's, he's been getting older. older. Yeah, he's gotten older. Well, has he gotten or was significantly he older age? or was he always that old? See, that one I don't hmm. have as much of trouble okay. with because I, I can assume that he, when he came to Neverland, he was an older gentleman. Uh, but Peter, we've got some real issues here. First of all, uh, if Tinkerbell takes him to Neverland as a baby, how does he get to be 12 years old? And how did he remember that and imagine he was willful? In his running away. Well, and also just uh, certainly back to the the horror that the actual Peter Pan story has. Like that poor mother. Yes, <laughs> whose who son just disappeared <laughs> while she was. She and then the they forgot about Mi- him. Mildly negligent. <laughs> yes, and then the other thing is about this this issue of memory and forgetting. How is it that Peter he comes back into our world and then he forgets that he's Peter Pan? Why is there is there any guarantee that he won't forget again? I think there's something about Nether- Neverland that is amnesic. <laughs> so J.M. Barry, who's ac- who wrote the original story, mm-hmm. he uh, he had he people have asked him about that, and he kind of mentioned that Neverland is a place, and Tinkerbell mentions it too. That Neverland's a place in between being awake and being asleep. Sure, and it's physically there, but it's not there. Uh, and, you know, so it's kind of like a dream. It, it's a it's a story for us all to remember. You know, there's this place out there that we all go, but you know, who really remembers their dreams in vivid detail? I, I, before anyone writes in, I know there are some people who do, <laughs> but I've had the some vast majority dreams. of people don't. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that I mean. And that goes to Hook's conversation about you know you're really in a dream, and then the fact that he sees Smee pushing cans in the at the end of the movie mm-hmm. so yeah. it, that's one of those where it's like wait what is this trying to say that but he also he also does have toodles marbles around his neck he does and, and his wife remembers the kids being gone and he has the right. footprints of tinkerbell still on his his uh tux shirt yeah so there's so evidence our, our, I, I guess as, as part of what what you're saying brandon um that because this is this kind of in between asleep and awake this dream stage that just like in dreams, uh, like dream logic and how the logic of dreams just doesn't really make sense and it doesn't do you any good to go back. Like if you've ever had a dream and then gone back and tried to like walk yourself through your dream, you realize that there is no logic behind what's going on there. It just doesn't work. And and so is that what's, is that what's going on here? That it's not that it's not that Neverland isn't a real place, but because of the dreamlike nature of that real place, um, it does. It just doesn't do any good to apply logic to it. So to be completely honest, I hadn't thought it that far through. But yeah, that's the that's the <laughs> course that this would take. <laughs> I don't know. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a part of me that feels slightly dissatisfied with with the fact that this it, it feels like not maybe not all the way thought through, 
but but maybe they did, and they just said, "Well, it's it's the place between awake and asleep, and it's a dreamlike place, and we and therefore we don't have to follow the laws of logic as as you know earthlings." Okay, are so here. To. So here's another fan theory or fan theory that I've had for a while then, because if you watch this and just remember, I'm a, I'm a big sci-fi fan too. <laughs> when you watch as Tinkerbell is pulling, uh, Peter Banning in the sheet up to Neverland, it kind of looks like the Stargate wormhole that she's going through. <laughs> it does a little flash there. So if we uh-huh. turn this on a science fiction kind of a head and hook even calls it a different world. Yeah. You know, I went to the other world to get Peter Pan's kids. Uh-huh. So they went through this wormhole to get to another world. Which, by where... the way, how did Hook do that? Yeah, okay, that's that's a, that's another thing that has never been issued or addressed. That issue has never been addressed. Uh, but but let's 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 think about this as you know, there, maybe there's a kind of a time dilation going on. So maybe the way that Peter Pan grew up and was able to age is time does pass in that world, but just much slower than it does in the real world because he was gone for three days in that, in that, uh, in the movie, he was gone oh, preparing to be for three days and he came back and it was the, it was just that next morning. Okay. Well, this disconnect of time is going to remove one of the notes. Yeah. I want to talk about the anachronistic teddy bear because it bothered me. I have <laughs> another thing to say. I have another thing to say about time. So, uh, I, I had something to say ahead. about, about landing on Neverland. All right. So the anachronistic teddy bear, it just, for some reason, it struck me when I was watching this that, uh, what makes Peter Banning remember that he's Peter Pan is he finds his old teddy bear that he had in Neverland that sure. was in the cart or his stroller that, mm-hmm. that rolled away. But, uh, but within the logic of all this, that, He's the Peter Pan that visited uh, Wendy and then J.M. Barry in this, they say, like, that was a neighbor that wrote down our stories that we told. So all of this is really yes. happening. He's writing down the stories. It doesn't line up for when he was a baby that he would have had a teddy bear yet. Because because Teddy Roosevelt. Because <laughs> Teddy and... Roosevelt was president, and that's when, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> he wouldn't have had, teddy bears weren't a thing yet, when uh, he would have had to have been a baby. It would have been pre-Teddy Roosevelt presidency. Did they have stuffed animals in the, I would say, Mid to late this is 1800s. called a teddy bear. He calls it my teddy. Oh, dang it. Yeah. That's amazing. Nice. <laughs> it just stuck out to me. Because nice. uh, nice J.M. Barry wrote it in 1911 is when it was published. He was writing it a little uh-huh. before that. But yeah. Roosevelt was, what, 1900? Like the turn of century, yeah. basically. Yeah. So for him to have been a 12-year-old child, that the, the it just didn't work out, the timeline. Okay. You're right. But if there's time <laughs> dilation happening through a wormhole travel... We're all good. Never mind. It's exactly. all solved. It's, it, it, it solves all those problems, and you can be say just because science. Who's going to argue see, with see, you? Maybe yeah. he was taken as a baby, and by the time he hit Neverland, he was already twelve. <laughs> um, this is amazing. I have a question about clocks. This is a, a, a okay. legitimate question. I mean, <laughs> as opposed to wormhole travel. Yeah. Uh, anachronistic teddy bears. And anachronistic teddy bears. Uh, my question is about the clocks. So Peter Banning gives Jack his pocket watch when he's when he's leaving him, mm-hmm. and he says, "You're the man of the house now, and you and you need to be in charge of this of this watch." And at that point, it seems like the watch is symbolic of something. Can I talk about and, the and, symbolism of clocks in Peter Pan? But but yes, are, can, are, can, are I, can just I just gonna, finish this yeah. thought? I just want to walk through th- like the three moments where clocks seem to be significant. So that's like point point of reference number one, and then point of reference number two is when they take Jack into the clock shop, and they are smashing all the clocks, and we see that Hook is terrified of clocks, 
And then we see that again at the end where uh, they're in the sword fight and all the kids hold up the clocks and and Peter says that, you know, Hook is afraid of a ticking clock and that maybe he's just afraid of time. And so my question is, what does the clock symbolize? And my second question is, does the same does does the clock symbolize the same thing at those three points in the story? All right. So in the original Peter Pan story, which is about not growing up, a ch- you know, Arrested Development did it the most sure. literal way possible. Uh, Hook is scared of the crocodile that has the ticking clock within it. Uh, mm-hmm. Time is growing up and dying. And right. Peter Pan and Hook are both scared of that. Peter Pan doesn't, you know, he's the child who won't grow up. And Neverland is a way to stop that from happening. But Hook still has that fear of time of advancing age of adulthood uh you know because i mean hook's playing pirates still i mean he's, he's not a mature adult as we've mm-hmm. established in our discussion mm-hmm. already i think uh and so peter gives him a, the clock and says you're the man now so it's still i think operating in the same symbolism of time and clocks being and adulthood and, and then jack breaking it is when he's making the choice to stay in neverland to be a forever child in neverland again uh, assuming that does the same thing to him that it does to the lost boys mm-hmm uh, and then the clock at the end is time finally catching up with Captain Hook. I mean, it's not clear what happens when <laughs> the crowd falls on him, but time is caught up and <laughs> his existence logic. is over. Yeah, it's dream logic. <laughs> there. So there. I guess I guess part of my the 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 reason why this is a little bit complicated for me is because of Wendy's comment to Peter when she says, "So Peter, you've become a pirate," and at that moment, I'm wondering. Are we? Is it is it fair or correct for us to equate? Is Peter somehow a stand-in for Captain Hook at that point? And if it is, then why is he tied to the clock like that? Does that make sense? I feel like I feel like I, I haven't explained yeah. that very well. Well, no, and I think that line of dialogue, particularly when I was watching this time, I thought that's an interesting idea that doesn't get explored. I, I don't see it being uh, analyzed or or uh, played with. Uh, like, like, I think it's a good bit of dialogue, but it doesn't become a theme that Peter Pan had become a pirate. I think. So I guess. I guess. We're, I mean, if we're setting up a binary, if we're setting up a binary, is the binary? I mean, the, this is kind of complicated. What's going on here? Because you have Peter Pan and Peter Banning, who are opposites of each other. You have Peter Pan and Hook, who are also opposites of each other. Which would, you know, like if A is the direct opposite of B, and A is the direct opposite of C, then are B and C equal? Brandon, do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, the math properties there definitely work. I don't, the science checks out. <laughs> the science checks out. They went through the wormhole. We're good. Um, no, I, I, I think, I think that's kind of what they were trying to hint at, but they didn't follow through on it. Um, I kind of wrote it off because I thought about that too when I was watching it. I kind of wrote it off to the fact that, well, I'm a network engineer. But whenever my whenever people ask my kids what I do for my job, they say that I fix computers. Mm-hmm. And so you know, it's funny somebody you know somebody was fixing com- computers at a completely different level. And my my kid was like, "Dad, that's what you do." And I'm like, "I'll just say yes because you're not going to understand <laughs> what I actually do." Uh-huh. So uh, you know, I I think the pirate analogy was interesting in the fact that they're. You know, they, they could be compared, you know, maybe it's a watch out, you're going down this path warning rather than a, you are the Captain Hook equivalent in this world. But I, but I think what, what Joe, you were saying is that 
Captain Hook is really cl- closer to Peter Pan than we think. I mean, we were saying before about how they're opposites and they're the opposite sides of this balance. They're yin and yang, and they both have to ex- like coexist in order for this system to work. But now it seems like we're saying that Peter Pan and Captain Hook are basically the same thing. They're both arrested in their development. Neither of them wants to grow up. And symbolically, they represent basically the same thing or maybe two different sides of the same thing. Well, I think they're they're the story has enough layers and depth that they can be, you know, depending on what angle you're looking at, you can see different things within it. And I think they hold up to that scrutiny. It's a cool kind of complicated yeah. puzzle to work through. I, th- I, I like think it. the original Peter Pan story just has so much symbolism. That's really interesting to start digging through. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want any of this to be misconstrued as criticism of the story. I think it, uh, it to me, it adds complexity and an interest, not these aren't like holes in, in this, in the storytelling. From my point of view, I think it's makes it better. You know, a good story will get you talking about this and not necessarily even let you resolve these questions because it's supposed they're supposed to make you think. Um, I had a p- politics teacher one time. Uh, they were teaching. They were saying, you know, people say far left and far right. Well, really, you're more on a circle. And the yeah. further left you go, the closer to the right you get. And the further right you go, the closer to the left you get until <laughs> you're really the same thing arguing from I different think I had sides the same of the fence. Teacher. Because <laughs> I had that same discussion in my yeah, AP I have as well. <laughs> politics. I have I have often thought about kind of like the clocks and symbolism in this, and I've come to the conclusion that like I think they had some themes in mind that they didn't really stick to. They didn't mm-hmm. commit to them all the way. Because like when when Jack starts breaking clocks and watches, he smashes the watch for kind of a meaningless thing against his father. It's it's like for not letting me blow bubbles in my chocolate milk. I'm like, that's not a satisfactory reason to smash the pocket watch your father gave you. Well, I just, I'm sorry. Just talk about clocks. It also, Tinkerbell lives in a clock, right? Yeah. And she breaks yes. the clock when she grows up big. When she grows big. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. And I we think, haven't even, man, we haven't even gotten into that. Oh. It's all kind of cool, like weird Freudian stuff going on with Tinkerbell. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, uh. Just this is a random bit of trivia. Uh, Julia Roberts had just um, basically left Kiefer Sutherland at the altar right before filming began, and things were a little rough in her. Was she a, was she a runaway bride? She was in fact, wow. uh, but like <laughs> the the filming went well over budget and over date, like forty days over the filming schedule, and some of the blame apparently lies with Julia Roberts' uh, emotional state at the time. Spielberg has been very supportive of her. I like her in this movie. <laughs> no, I. I, I it's a major life event to have a wedding planned that gets called off the day before, yes. basically. So I think, yeah. and she also apparently was going through like some physical health problems at the time, like was hospitalized for flu symptoms and things like that. Wow. Uh, so stressful time, probably stressful emotional state had weakened her immune system. I am guessing. Can I just mention this Tinkerbell character? You know, she, I don't know how method she gets, but it's kind of creepy for her to be hitting on, you know, her friend's granddaughter's husband, <laughs> and I mean, I mean, the welcome home party that she was throwing for him, he, she was the only one there. Yeah. She was all dressed up and she was the only one there. And, you know, then she turns big and yeah, it's, and yeah, there's you know, some I, weird stuff going on there. You got the mermaids, you got, everybody wants a piece of Peter <laughs> in Neverland. <laughs> 
It turns out we've only scratched the surface in this hour <laughs> yes. of, of, of what's really going on in Hope. Yeah, I think it's just, I, I think we are nearing uh, the end of our time, but I think uh, we've delved into some <laughs> issues I never would have expected us to get to. Uh, I have. Can I just? Uh, yeah. I know, uh, at the risk of going maybe a tiny bit over, <laughs> can I? T- can we talk about one more thing that I think is really cool in this in the story? Yes. Well, okay, two things. One, one thing is very, very short, and it's just that I want to do a shout-out to sound mixer Rod Junk Judkins because I love the sound in this film. Uh, I love the sound of um, of Captain Hook's hook, like, scratching on his nose. And anyway, there's the, next time you watch it, just listen to all of the amazing sounds that take place. Uh, the, the more important thing is um, I'm – really fascinated by the idea of the just the power of imagination and this gets back to the the food the food thing and the question of is the food there before the boys like is it possible for those boys to actually uh like feed themselves with their imagination and the the only reason that this i mean you're like uh obviously not but uh, we're reading this book, and now this is – it's a Spanish literature corner. <laughs> but there's this book called The Carpenter's Pencil, and it's about um, prisoners in of war during the Spanish Civil War. And there's two uh, sort of juxtaposed scenes. One is uh, there's a guy they're, – they're starving because they're in prison, and they don't have enough food. And there's – this main character is a doctor, and he hypnotizes one of the prisoners – and he walks him through the meal. Like this guy has um, like sugar problems, like blood sugar problems. And he's he's like in a bad physical state. And the doctor kind of hypnotizes this guy and then walks him through the meal. And he says, now you're eating this and now you're drinking this wine and now you're eating this amazing thing. And in the end, he's able to calm this guy's system down by walking him through a meal, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, and this – there's a lot of stuff in this book that is actually like things that really happened in Spanish prisons during the Spanish civil war. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was actually based on something that really happened. The other one is a guy comes in and his, um, he's complaining of pain in his foot and he's grabbing his leg and he's saying my foot, my foot, my ankle. And they look down and his leg has been amputated. He has no foot. He has no right foot. And he's saying, it's my right foot. They sh- it hurts so bad. And they, and the, one of the guys says, you have no right foot. And he says, it must be your left foot. And he says, no, it's my right foot. It's my right foot. And then the doctor says uh, that this is called phantom pain. And apparently it's a real thing that people have. People who have, have lost limbs will, f- it will feel pain in their limb that is lost. And it's, it's imaginary pain, but it's, it's real and it's totally debilitating. And then the doctor says, it's the worst kind of pain is the memory of pain. Imagine pain is the worst kind of pain. So you have these two juxtaposed scenes, one in which they're able to use – consciously use imagine the power of imagination to make someone's life better and another case in which someone is unconsciously sort of being taken run over by their imagination and it's making their life like hell and then and then i watched this film today and i thought man it's it's this interesting thing going on with imagination anyway so i'm i'm going to poke a little bit of a hole in that uh, comparison right there but the you know phantom pain they used to think it was all imaginary but they've actually found now that it has to do with your spinal cord and uh-huh. and your the way your brain is processing those signals so okay. that's not imaginary but it is definitely in the brain okay. um but yeah i i think that i think that in neverland though imagination is a lot of it cuz 
I mean, the baseball. So Jack imagined himself hitting a home run, and he hit a home run that stayed up in the air for like two, three minutes. Um, <laughs> no, longer, because Peter had to get all the way back to... <laughs> to Lost Boy Camp. <laughs> to Lost Boy Camp. Which well, can take looks, days. When we they saw show the, the whole island, it looks like it's only like a couple hundred yards away. So. <laughs> but, but the island, like, Neverland has a map compass in the water adjacent to it. <laughs> it's very helpful. Like, there, there is a physical <laughs> map compass in the ocean by it. So imagination is all over that place. It's the currency. Imagination is the currency of Neverland. Man. So I'm going to go with that it's on a different world where the imagination energy can be manifest in reality. <laughs> you know, once you went through that wormhole, it's good. But only if you're, again, the alpha, because Peter Pan's the one that makes food appear, and all the Lost Boys seem shocked that there's actual real food on the table then. I so when they were doing if, their imagination, it was like a lower level. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, like like less tangible. They, they were, they they were, were getting mostly carrots and, and vegetables, and then they got the good stuff. Yeah, the, the icing pies. <laughs> and, and, the, and the cheese Which, blocks. why is Peter banning <laughs> imagining icing pies he's thinking what kids would want <laughs> you know it was a, it was a, it was definitely the, that was his turning point that was when he became peter pan again you know when he starts calling rufio those names and yes. i think that was a big juxtaposition <laughs> against when uh when jack was smashing clocks that was when they both decided that's where they were going to be and yeah. it was just completely the showing the difference between the pirates and the lost boys well and and like you said it's the insults is what turns him back into a child like engaging in that very juvenile activity <laughs> is what allows him to unlock that part of himself that he had forgotten as he grew into adulthood i may have just got myself like completely twisted around but what is the fundamental difference between a lost boy and a pirate i think one's what afraid makes... of, one's afraid of growing up and one's afraid of death so are the pirates because the pirates are all adults and the lost boys are all kids are we saying that uh, lost boys somehow can grow into pirates or do yeah. adults find their way into Neverland and become pirates? They had children on the pirate crew. If you watch that oh, last scene, there were kids there. And so, but were you know, they maybe... just kidnapped kids? And that's a good question. Are you <laughs> and... talking about the kids that are up in the window with Maggie? Um, yeah, or they, are they actually there there there. Are the kids that are in there? You're right. Yeah, there were kids up hmm. there, and then earlier in earlier scenes, they were running around the little town. Area. All right, we're, we, we're we gonna are going this. well over, but Brandon, we may have to back on just to talk about Hook again. <laughs> we are discovering discovering a lot of an uh, episode about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so meta. Uh, any final thoughts, though, Brandon? I don't think we're gonna be able to close the door on all the mysteries we've opened up for our listeners. I'm sorry about that, but any final thoughts? Um, I, you know, just that this is such a great movie. You know, we didn't even talk about uh, Dame Maggie Smith and all of the different, all of the different uh, characters there. I think this is an onion of a movie. There are layers upon layers upon layers, and like you said, we could go on for a long time. So it's worth a watch, no matter what Steven Spielberg thinks. <laughs> Well, and I, I, I think I, my final thought, I would just go back to where I was at the beginning. I see a lot of the flaws that people point out. Yes, the first act kind of drags on when you start paying attention to that. Yes, the sets are maybe not what Spielberg had in his head and wasn't able to recreate on a studio in London. But I still love the film, even though I, I see some of those scenes. And we've pointed out a couple of plot points where it's like, wait, that, you know, what's the internal logic here? Does it hold up? And it does once you realize there's a wormhole that's dilating time. <laughs> <laughs> Or that this is a dream world in which uh, dr only dream logic applies. Or both. <laughs> it's a wormhole that takes you into the Twilight Zone. Where imagination creates everything. 
Yes! We're tying it all together. See, we did come to the final word on this. Todd, do you have any uh, final statement? This has been really delightful. I'm really glad that we got to talk about one of my favorite films. All right. Well, that... Uh, oh, Brandon gets his dinner party. Oh, yes, Brandon. Oh, final thing. We always ask guests, because uh, we talk about great characters and great stories. We ask them if you have a dinner party where you could have any three to five guests from all of story, literature, film, TV, What? who would you invite to your dinner party just to have an interesting conversation with? And some okay. icing pie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> icing you can pie. imagine the dinner party to be whatever you want. <laughs> So sharing my big blocks of cheese and bacon-wrapped turkey, um, I think I'd have to invite Han Solo because Han Solo, I mean, there's not, I mean, he, he has so many stories. Um, I would have to invite somebody that you guys have already talked about, Kamala Khan. She's like, if you're not reading the Miss Marvel oh, comics, you have so to cool. read, you have to read them. She is amazing. Um, and because somebody's got to pay for the party, you get, got Tony Stark there. <laughs> uh, well, not if you're in Neverland. No one has to pay. That's true. That's true. Is there a room on this, in this universe big enough for Tony Stark and Hansel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just wait. Just wait. Because speaking of big rooms, I would also have to invite Hagrid from Harry Potter. <laughs> And then I, you know, you got to cap it off with the Time Lord and get. I, I would love to have a conversation with the Eleventh Doctor. <laughs> wow, that is a good group. That is That'd a, be good a fun, group. fun dinner. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, that wraps up this episode. One more time, Brandon. Where can listeners go to find out more about your podcast? So if you want to find out more about my podcast, head over to fandompodcast.com. Or if you want to meet me in person and you're listening to this in the Utah area, on April 30th, I'm running all the panels at Nihon Matsuri, which is the Japanese festival. Cool. Okay. Well, that's very cool. Uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us. And subscribe to the Protects Podcast in iTunes. And if you would please leave us a review there, it helps us out. And links to... Uh, I'm not going to say everything we've discussed because we bounced all over this episode, but the links <laughs> to many of the things we've discussed will be found at protagonistpodcast.com. And you can find all of our previous shows and you can suggest stories uh, but, or give us any notes by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. Uh, or especially if you go to facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast, that is where most of the discussion takes place. And we're all on Twitter. You can go to follow us at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. Brandon, do you have a social media presence you'd like to plug? You know, I'm mostly on Facebook. If you head over to facebook.com slash fandom podcast, I'm there. I have a Twitter account. It's not super active. <laughs> Mine is mostly links to episodes <laughs> of the protagonist <laughs> podcast. Uh, if you liked this show and you would like to help us out financially, there's a few different ways. This month is a great time to become a patron and go to patreon.com slash protagonist. And uh, if you do that, you'll have the opportunity to choose a topic for us to discuss. Also, if you go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon for all your many Amazon purchases, we just get a tiny percentage of that, and it helps us to keep the lights on here. And thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to talk about another great character and a great story. So long. So long. And we also appreciate it if you go to Amazon.com slash... Is it the other way? It's the other way. <laughs> Never once get through that read. It's because I... Uh, all right.